Once you experience some new space in God, and then you get to do it all over again. Three times a year, they made the trek every day that they were physically possible their entire life because you never truly outgrow growing in the Lord. And why would we want to? Hello, I'm Pastor JP. Welcome. We are so glad you are checking us out online. We hope the word you're about to hear is an encouraging point in your life today. So we're praying for you. We love you. Stay tuned. You know, this past week has been filled with church. We've been having church all week. Some of you just showed up today. We've got pictures from all the meetings and all the church services we've had. See, we have in church right here. And we have in church right here. Look, this is a happy church goer right there. That Noah was at church every day this week. We we had over 70, around 70 participants in this week's Serve Summit. Isn't that awesome? And if, and if you helped, would you stand just for a moment? If you helped at any of our projects this week, would you stand right where you are so we can just say thank you, thank you, thank you for being a part of this week. And we know there are many out and about and serving in other parts, but over the last six days, we have we were able to serve and help at two different Dream Center homes. We were able to go and, and serve over at Liberty Park. We were able to go serve Pope Elementary. We were able to serve Northside High School. We picked up trash. We pulled weeds. We trimmed. We landscaped. We cleaned. We cleared. We painted and we encouraged, we showed people love by being hands and feet and smiling faces most of the time while we did it. And uh, Charles not smiling right then, but Charles smiled 99.5% of the time. How many know Charles? And he's a smiler. So, and we just, we just had a, uh, a tremendous week of doing a lot of great stuff. And there's Pastor Brian. How many appreciate Pastor Brian and his leadership and coordinating our efforts all throughout this week? And so, listen, I'm very proud to call Northside my church after a week like this week. Aren't you? And so, and I believe that when, when we sow seed like this, see, we're throwing seed. We're, we're throwing seed. And when we, when we throw seeds like this, you just never know. But God does. God, let me tell you something. Um, God can't water and help things grow if we're not out there trying to sow. Well, we don't know if anything will come out of all that work. Well, I tell you what we do know. Nothing will come out of anything if we don't do something. You see what I'm saying? 
So, and I, the outcome in and of itself was worth all the work. Making a difference in these areas and, and just doing and um, some of the things that needed to be done and being the people to raise our hands and say, we'll go do it. We'll serve our community. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And it was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Uh, cutting up while we cut things up. So that was, that was a lot of fun. So we've been, we've been talking about the Psalms of Ascent. And I'm just going to jump right into the, the word today. We know that life never quits moving, and hopefully you're making it a point to be a part of the different activities and services and things we've got going on throughout the week. In Psalms 120 through 134, I want to challenge you to read them every week. Just move through them. You'll find they're not very long. Say, thank you, Pastor. So you'll find they're not very long. And you, you can get in there and you can read them over and over and over again. And I guarantee you, the more you read them, every time you read them, you'll see something, you'll feel something, you'll catch something different every single time. And so every week, read through these as we go through this series. Because these were songs that were sung by the people of God as they were making their way, basically, to church. Making their way to worship and to meet with God. Because God promised to meet with them when they do. Last week we talked about it's time to go. Because how many know you can't go on a journey with with God until you recognize, come to grips with the reality that it is time to leave. It is time to go. It's time to set out. And what's so great about this promise is, is that when we call on God, we don't just get replies. We get Relief, And today I want to talk about look up and cry out. We're going to read Psalms 121 and 122. So if you have your Bibles there, that's where we'll pick up. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. I don't know why. Every time. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm and he will watch over your life. And the Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forever. Psalm 122, I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. 
For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. Well, let's pray one more time. Put your hand there on your Bible, on your heart. Lord, we pray now at the reading of your word that it would enter into this moment and into our hearing and into our very beings, that it may cut deep and touch those parts of our lives that need it the most. That if you cannot use me today, that you certainly can work around me by the sheer force and power of your living word. So come Holy Spirit and do your good work in every single life in this room. For a thousand sermons from my lips can be yielded to nothing to a single whisper word whispered by you. So speak, Lord. We're listening. We ask in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Right out the gate, theologians have argued over what mountains are we looking at? What mountains is the psalmist looking at? What mountains are those who have sung this song over and over and over again? What are these mountains that they are singing about? Are these Zion's hills? Are these Jerusalem's hills? Are they, are, are they looking at that or envisioning those hills? Or... Like in other places, and most places in Scripture, actually, are they signifying dangerous places, treading dangerous cliffs and hills? So are, are, are they talking about, I'm looking at the journey ahead, the mountain ahead, and, so, and asking the question, where does my help come from? Or are they looking at the trek to Zion, to, to Jerusalem, and, and that is the destination, and I've got to get there, so is, you know, and so to get there, where then does my help come from? So if our, if our eyes are, are looking to the mountains of God's presence, then, then this is just a, a reassuring sight given the question of where our help comes from. But if our eyes are looking at dangerous mountains that we have to travail, then even more so, we need the assurance of where then does our help come from. So you may ask me then, preacher, when then which one is it? Are we looking at Zion's mountain or are we looking at dangerous mountains? My answer is yes. Well, yes. I, I don't know. I, part of me thinks given the nature of the Psalms and the songs and the poetry therein, it's, part of me thinks that it's, it's both. That there's a lot of wordplay in these beautiful verses throughout the books of, of Psalms. That either way, Helps make sense of the question. That is, 
Where does your help come from? Because that help, that help is what makes the journey possible. So make no mistake, either way, there is a mountain to have to navigate. So notice that what comes next then, no matter what way you approach the mountain, what comes next isn't a word picture or a vision then of what, you're, what you will endure. That's why we debate over what mountain is this? Because we're given no more information about the mountain. What we're given a vision of is who is with us. We speak no more of the mountain. They start talking about who is with us on the journey. And see, this is very important because as we move forward, you have, to, you have to start thinking this way. Your eyes give you sight, but your God gives you vision. See, if you're, gonna, if you're going to make this trip, if you're going to take a spiritual journey, if you're going to grow and mature spiritually, your eyes may see mountains, but your God is what gives you visions. Visions of not just seeing a mountain that may be in front of you, but scaling cliffs and passing through dangerous terrain and, and getting to the other side. How do we do that? Well, because our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, which this is a comforting thought. He's the maker of heaven and earth. Therefore, he made the mountain. He knows it. We talked about this last week. We don't just need navigation in life. We actually need the navigator, the designer, the map maker. We don't, we don't just get the map. We get the map maker too to help us and to be with us. It's always been that way. That's just not a New Testament Holy Spirit outpouring promise. That's is God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always been that kind of God. Your help comes from the Lord, the maker of, of heaven and earth. By the way, if you read all of the Psalms, you'll find that the Psalms speak more of creation than Genesis. So first, right out the gate, just in the first couple of verses, we read of a God who is our helper. Why fear mountains? Why fear surrendering inch by inch, step by step our lives over to this God and taking a journey of faith and growth and, and leaning ever more on him in this life? Because with it, we get his help. And when we get his help, we don't fear anything. We shouldn't fear anything. We have a helper. Verse 3, it says, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. This is an important statement to make, especially in the day and time in which it was made. Because in Israel's day, way back then, the gods of their day, most of them slept all the time. 
You had to wake them up. You had to play loud music. You read this sometimes in the stories of, of Baal and, and, and with the Amalekites and Canaanites and others, and the Philistines, where, where they had to do things, cut themselves and make loud noises and chant and, and do all kinds of crazy acts of worship to arouse, to wake up their gods. And so, the, and, and because they're always trying to sleep. But Israel's God was different. Nobody's God was like Israel's God. Nobody for a thousand years was writing about a God like Israel's God. Israel's God was the only God who never slept, never took a day off. So we instantly see that our God, our God was a little different in the sense that he cared very, so much about what was going on that he's like a watcher, that he is actually watching about what's going on. So he's a helper, and in verses 3 and 4, we see that he's a watcher. Why fear the journey? Because he doesn't take naps. He doesn't check out on us. He doesn't need breaks. And that's in steep contrast to the, to the way other people treat us. And it was in steep contrast to how the other gods were portrayed. The other gods were to be served and they were to be watched over. But Israel's God watched over them while they slept. That's a good benevolent God. This is a different kind of God to envision to envision. Remember, when you're travailing a mountain or you're going through something or you're being stretched or you're growing, you're surrendering parts of your life and you're taking steps closer to try to build and make stronger your relationship with God, which is what these journeys to Jerusalem were about. It was, it was about increasing their devotion and their relationship with God. Remember, this, was, this song, this particular part of the song was about not singing about the terrain and the mountain. They were singing and trying to avenge their God. And so it goes on to say, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day or the moon by night. Shade at your right hand, they knew what that meant. See, the, the shield, this was a, a warrior phrase because your, your shield you held in, in your left hand. So it naturally provided shade to the left side of your body. So your right side was, was open to, to the sun and to the elements and to attack. And so, you needed something on this side, on your right side. And so, your right side also typically had your weapon, but that was about it. You needed shade at your right-hand side. Now, this is what this is saying. The Lord watches over you and is your shade at your right hand. Shade at your right hand basically is saying, 
in order for someone to cover your right side, that meant you had to get close. So what the psalmist is saying is that it's one thing for your God to watch over you from afar, which is what most gods did. Most gods, are, if they are checking in on you, they're checking on you from afar. They're looking over the bowels of heaven and going, oh, yeah, I see you. You're going, okay, fine, or thumbs down. I'm going to drop a piano on your head, whatever. But not Israel's God, not the psalmist's God. No, he's shaded at your right hand, meaning if he's shading you at your right hand, I mean, he's got to be right here, right next to you. He's not afar off, but our God is close, like on your right, kind of close. See, that's why he's our protector. So he's our helper. He's our watcher. He's our protector. So the son, the son can't harm us by day. Lots of ways the sun can do damage. Lots of ways the sun can dehydrate you and burn you and cook you and cook your fields, cook your livestock. But what about this moon by night? I've never got a moon burn. I've never been, I've never been really sensitive to the moon. And the moon doesn't seem all that threatening, but it is a nice turn of phrase. You know, the sun by day and the moon by night, maybe it's just poetic turn of phrase, but really it really meant something because while the moon might not seem that threatening to us today, to them, the moon was to blame for all sorts of things. And I'm kind of starting to think that maybe they, has, they, maybe they were on to something. I don't know. But for them, the moon was to blame for all kinds of physical afflictions. The moon was to, to blame for being stricken, especially suddenly with some type of sickness. And the moon was to be blamed with mental afflictions and mental illnesses. So that could range from the physical sicknesses and diseases to anxiety and stresses to, to lunacy. And so that is, it is this phrase, this moon, is, and over time and, and over hundreds of years, we, we've gotten the phrase moonstruck, to be moonstruck. Went on to take on all types of meanings like they're crazy, they're moonstruck. Then they took it another step forward. Somewhere in the, between the 18th and 19th century, moonstruck kind of, their love struck, which was just a play off of the still the same root of the meaning, which was they out of their mind. They're just a little bit, they're in love. They, they can't really think straight. They're moonstruck. Shoot, they thought that way in the time of Jesus. It is how they described a lot of the a lot of the people Jesus healed who were demonically uh, oppressed and um, possessed. Even into the 18th century in England, you could argue for a lighter sentence if the crime you committed was committed under a full moon. You believe that? So the moon... They believe that. And so what this is saying is, listen, whether by the sun 
or by the moon, what they're trying to say, they're trying to cast a vision, not of the mountain, but of their God, that he is the ultimate protector of our bodies and our minds. That you need not worry, not even of the moon, you need not worry about anxiety or being struck with sickness or disease that our God can protect you and provide for you through all of that. Verse 80 says, the Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and forever. And here we see God is our preserver. So he's a helper, he's a watcher, he's a protector, and now he's our preserver. Both now and forever, we see him. He's saying, are coming and going, which is a neat turn of phrase because it's not just a military term now. Now he's switched over. Now that the psalmist has switched over, he's talking about all of life, all of life, the regular ins and outs of as if you're coming in and out of a city gate, just all of all, everything in and out. How can he can and will preserve you? So what do we see with our eyes? A mountain. But who do we envision with us when we're up against it? That's what this psalm is about. The Lord, our helper, our watcher, our protector, our preserver. Your eyes give you sight, but your God is giving you some vision. So if that's what you see, in Psalm 121, then it's no wonder that what comes next in Psalm 122 is all about what you should say. Your mouth makes you vocal, but God's word makes you a voice. In Psalm 122, we see, you read through it, it says, I will rejoice, I will praise, I will pray. I will say, if 21 is about moving from sight to vision, then 22 is about moving past vocals to having a voice. Because your mouth may give you speech, but your words give you focus. And if you're going to make this trip, if you're going to make this trip with God, and grow in the Lord, you do so rejoicing and praising and praying and declaring peace, declaring his word. That's how you make this trip. How many remember the old school version of Psalm 122? Like, I can't, I can't even tell you how many church services with the old deacon get up and start the service out, the invocation. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You like that one? You remember that one? I need the old folks to help me out here. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the unto me. That's how you know you're getting the KJV. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. But most of the time when we've heard that verse, though, we, we've already done gone went unto. <laughs> We's already in the house. 
So, I don't know, it seems like today, today, sometimes it's, it seems like we, we can treat God's house like a fun house sometimes. Like a, like, okay, I, I showed up, Lord. I showed up. Now, you, you got something for me? Today, I, you, got some, you got some joy for me? I showed up. I showed up preaching. Now, you gonna, you gonna entertain me? Y'all got real quiet. I, I showed up. Now, now, somebody do something worth watching. I, I showed up, somebody, like y'all bought tickets to the Sunday morning church show or something. Nobody bought tickets today. We didn't sell tickets. It's nothing like that. It's almost like, well, I'll let you know, I'll let you know after service if I, was, if I was glad whether or not I went into the house of the Lord. But this says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go before we ever even got there. And no wonder, I mean, sometimes I'm just, I'm not saying this is us. I'm just, I'm just putting this out there. People might listen to this on the podcast. That is, you know, sometimes that, that stinking thinking comes from stinking speaking. Because if you're running down people, if you criticizing each other, criticizing the music, criticizing that piano playing, <laughs> mercy. There's one thing we got to hear that guy preach. Now we got to listen to him play the piano sometimes. Criticizing, criticizing the ministries or criticizing the event or criticizing the pastors. See, see, you vocal, but you don't have a voice. You wonder why. You, you, you say, oh, you know, you're saying things you want to say over things that are sacred, but you, your speech is just a little too smelly. Okay, I'll move on. Y'all got quiet. You know, sometimes when you see a gap in the need, maybe the Lord's not calling you to leave. Maybe he's calling you to lead. Maybe, I don't know. My mama's here. Mama said, mama always said it. She said it one time. She said it a million times. You can't say anything nice, John Paul. Don't say anything at all. I'm trying, mama. I'm trying. No, as, can, can you imagine being a, three times a year? We do this weekly, three times a year. Tens of thousands of people would converge on a city, would, would converge on the main roads and the main arteries into would converge onto those landscapes. That's a lot of people. You, you know, some of y'all get fussy because you got to wait three cars back to get out of our parking lot. And you see what I'm saying? 
I mean, that's a lot of people to, to shove into a, into a city that's built up on a hill. Now, attitude is everything. We need a joyous attitude when we join together to worship. I was glad when they said unto me, who is they? They is you. They is you. You is they. Stop looking around for the theys. Use they. You are untoing people. You know that? You are untoing people. Let me ask you a question. Do people get excited when you walk into the room? Because you're untoing people. I was glad when they said unto me. Do people get glad when you unto them? Everybody wants to be untoed, but you are untoing somebody. Are you following me? Are you with me? Some of you, when you get home, you can talk this through. <laughs> so do you get excited? Do people get excited when you walk into a room and you start untoing? Not to mention, least of all, your church family, your tribe, the Bible says. The psalmist says, your tribe, the hearts lift when they, when, when they see you start walking up on the sidewalk. Do people start pointing and be like, hey, so-and-so is here. I can't wait till they start untoing me. I love it when they show up. Or people start like, you know what? Every time I walk down the hall, somebody, they, can't, they hit the other side. They avoid eye contact. But if you encourage people, lift people up. I was glad when they said unto me, who are you untoing and what exactly are you untoing? Because, like the psalmist says, Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together, and this is where the tribes must go up. What's it saying? It's saying we need our tribe. The reason why it's talking about how it's compacted together is because that was a sign of strength. That was a sign of concentration. That was a sign of unity. See, they were, they were scattered out because they got to go out, farm fields, make a living, do things. But then they come back together. That was a show of strength, of unity. And what they could do when they come together, they were concentrated together, could focus. But then they started talking about these judgment thrones. I'm teaching you something today. Y'all with me? Then it, then, it, then it started talking about these judgment thrones. This, I don't like judging. Pastor, what's he talking about? These thrones for judgment. See, see, David built, basically, in the time of David, he, he built courthouses. He, he built little settlement houses where people could come in and, and, and disputes could be heard, kind of like court cases, and things could get settled. In other words, if people had some beef with each other, we don't war, we work it out. So they're, they're saying, that's what the throne talks are about. That's what the judgment and the thrones of David, that's what that's about. It's saying, hey, and we're not like everybody else. When we have beef with each other, we all get together, we get in there, and we work this thing out. 
Because listen, being a part of the church can feel that way too. We need each other even though we needle each other. But what's the end goal? What does he say? I will pray shalom. I will pray peace. I will pray shalom. We talked about shalom last week. An oversimplified definition of shalom. It has a whole range of meaning, but, but an oversimplified definition is to have shalom means that all of life is woven all, of, all into the life of God. That all of your life is woven into all of God. All of you is woven into all of God. And, and that is how you become whole. All of you, all of God. See, that's why Jesus is our prime example. He became all of us and he was all of God. Yet knew no sin. See what I'm saying? That's shalom. That's, that's why he, he is our peace. So here, shalom, live whole. I will pray shalom, peace for those who love Jerusalem. It's a play on words. Jerusalem, the city of peace. I will pray shalom for those who love the city of Shalom. I will pray Shalom for those who love Shalom. Peace within its walls and citadels. Within its walls and citadels. Do you think it really means peace within walls and peace within buildings? As the abstract buildings? No. People lived in those walls. People lived in those citadels. It's talking about people. That's where the people live. May people within those walls have shalom. Then it says, now say out loud, peace be with you. And then if it wasn't clear enough, he says, to family and friends. May you live whole. May you live whole. Now, here's the interesting part of all of this. This is being sung while they are on the way. All of this. Can you imagine? Like you've already made appointments because you've got a beef with three people. And you going up, you're... And you're singing the song. And you are praying at the same time. And may those who I have a beef with, I pray peace and shalom and wholeness over their life. I mean, that's next level kind of discipleship, isn't it? And you, you're singing this while on the way. You're praying this while on the way. They are, they, this is sung from the perspective that they are already there. But they're not there yet. They weren't living their lives according to the sight. They were doing it by vision and by faith. They, they're not just being vocal, 
They're being God's voice in the world. Saying these things out loud. Even though they're trying to live it out loud for real. And for God's sake, he says, I will seek his prosperity above all things. Because see, if you want to ascend heights, you, you, you must aspire hikes. Hikes are hard. How many hikers do we have in the room? That's right, four. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hikes are hard work. Holiness is hard work. I don't know when holy became a bad word for Christians. I guess because of the whole holier than now. Oh, they act holier than now. Okay. That's, it's bad to get accused of that. Okay? That's not good. But that's not an exempt. We're afraid to be called holier than now. That's... That's not an excuse not to take the climb. Ascending and growing with God is challenging. It's hard. Listen, what am I saying with all of this? I'm saying as the people of God set out for Jerusalem and as you set out every week, to church and to your small group and to midweek and to your own devotions and your own prayer time and your own talks with God, you sit out and you, you have something in front of you and it just hits you right there in front of you like a mountain where God says, you need to forgive a wrong that has happened to you. And that's what you see. Forgive a wrong that has been perpetrated against. That's what you see. But what do you envision? See, that's, that's where your spirit person on the inside should rise up and start speaking. That's where your spirit person rise up and start saying the things that are true, that we find in God's word. That's That's... That's when the travelers of old would start singing the psalms to remind themselves, I will say shalom over you and over my family and over my friends and over my church. They started singing what they envision about my God. Forgiving that wrong that has been perpetrated on me is, is hard, but my God is my helper. See, they didn't focus on the mountain. They envision who is with them, but God is my helper. God is my watcher. God is my protector. God is my preserver. See, what are you envisioning? If all you got is mountains all around you, you got no vision. No wonder you're fearful and defeated all the time. You, maybe that mountain is trying to break sin in your life. You just can't. 
You can't seem to break that sin that's got a hold of you. You know whatever it is. And you've talked about it with everybody but God. Maybe it's time to stop talking about that sin and stop looking at that mountain. What do you envision and see about your God? Maybe that mountain in front of you is you're the one that needs to right some wrongs. And you don't even know where to start. You don't even know how to go about it. But it's the next step in your spiritual growth. You've hit a brick wall. And you know it, and you know you got to take that step, and you got to right some wrongs, and quite frankly, just grow up. But it's going to be hard, but all you can see is that mountain in front of you. But what you, maybe what you need is to start envisioning your God as your helper. He'll give you the words to say. He'll help you work this thing out. He'll help you walk this thing out. He'll help. He's your preserver. Listen, they might not react the way. They may reject. They may reject your your offer for reconciliation and peace. But your God is your comforter and he's strong tower. You need to get a picture of who your God is, not how big that mountain is. Listen, I don't know what it is. It could be bad habits. It, 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 It could be pains and past hurts, whatever it might be. All I know is that instead of focusing only on the rough terrain that you need to pass through to get to where God wants you to be in your journey of faith with him, maybe you need to start lifting your eyes to where your help comes from and receiving your help from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He doesn't sleep or slumber and he doesn't want your foot to slip. He's on 24-7, seven days a week, every day of the year. And he loves you. And He's not set you up to do this all by yourself. So rejoice and be glad when someone says, hey, it's time to meet up at Northside Assembly and do some good and worship God and grow and pray and praise. And then once you experience some new space in God and then you get to do it all over again. Three times a year they made the trek every day that they were physically possible their entire life because you never truly outgrow growing in the Lord. And why would we want to? Why would we want to stop ascending? I tell you what, don't think there's any couches in God's kingdom. I don't think you can be a couch potato. You're either moving and hiking, or you're not really in this thing. 
Get in on this thing. Don't be afraid to face those mountains. Thanks for joining us again. We hope today's word was a blessing to you, maybe even challenged and inspired you. We'd love to connect with you, serve you in any way. Go to mynorthside.church, click the link for us to connect. We are praying for you. We believe that God has great things in store for you. We'll see you next time.